when we talk about innovation, we talk about problem solving, it's really not me. I'm I was overseeing this, but there's a, just a whole host of people who yeah. who are necessary to do this. Um, it, it always makes me uncomfortable, it, it, inevitably because of, there's only so much time and the world has to boil things down, um, you know, in digestible chunks that that leaders end up getting um, uh, assigned with the credit. But really, the, the credit is, is mm-hmm. just an incredible array of people that I've, I've had the honour to work with uh, over the last 20 years and still work with. So I just wanted to um, uh, to make that point before we, before we moved uh, forward. Spoken um, like a true leader. Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Map It Forward, friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and this is so far one of the most inspiring conversations I think we've had on this podcast ever. We're joined by David Browning um, from Inveritas, and David, we're talking about intentional problem solving in coffee across the supply chain. Um, And there are a lot of people who talk about problem solving. I've never met anybody uh, on this podcast that's doing the actionable problem solving that you guys are doing at Inveritas. Folks, just to be clear, Inveritas is not a sponsor of this podcast, although you might be. (laughs) I wouldn't blame you for thinking about that the way I've talked about it. There's no financial relationship here, nothing. I'm just a fan of people who do things and get things done. And that's what Inveritas has been doing. Now, we're going to talk about um, wastewater management at wet mills here. Um, And Vetiva is the story that we're going to talk about. So why don't you tell us about the story behind Vetiva, David? Well, before I start, I, sh- I should have, I should have mentioned right at the start that um, uh, when we talk about innovation, we talk about problem solving. It's really not me. I'm I was overseeing this, but there's a, just a whole host of people who yeah. who are necessary to do this. Um, it, it always makes me uncomfortable, it, it, inevitably because of, there's only so much time and the world has to boil things down um, you know, in, in digestible chunks that, that leaders end up getting um, uh, assigned with the credit. But really the, the credit is, is mm-hmm. just an incredible array of people that I've, I've had the honour to work with uh, over the last 20 years and still work with. So I just wanted to, um, uh, to make that point before we, before we moved uh, forward. Spoken um, like a true leader. Folks, our first on-demand workshop, How to Become a Coffee Consultant, is now available for you to learn at your own pace for just 50 euros, and it comes with a certificate upon completion. Go to mapperforward.coffee forward slash workshops or click the link in the show notes for more details. Support this podcast by supporting our sponsors. But um, we we wanted to talk in this podcast about Vetera. Uh, Last podcast, we talked about how we were starting to Build out these wet mills because we saw the potential for for how mm. it could solve uh, farmers' lives, not just in Rwanda but in Tanzania, Kenya, and Ethiopia. Uh, and in Ethiopia, um, we went out to um, a, a small village out in Jima. There wasn't really uh, specialty coffee in the region, um, but we decided we'd work in Jima. It, we, we felt like we could do the most good uh, it was an area that uh, we mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts that um, there, there are some parts of some countries which are which are very well trodden and um, you, even specific farmers who, whose estates or farms will show up time and time again in in the coffee world's communications but uh, but then there's a lot of farmers who um, who who get much less attention and so we deliberately went out to Jima we thought it was an area where 
um, we could probably do some good. We thought the coffee could be converted into um, fully washed coffee and there could be good premiums. What we didn't know um, is, is just uh, to what to what degree the farmers out there could could seize this opportunity between their teeth and just run with it. Uh, and so we went to a, a small village, about 300 farms. Uh, we talked to them about the idea. Uh, they they got excited and and you know and um, you know they trusted us. We really showed showed up out of nowhere. Um, uh, it was actually I was just reminded the other the other day of a story we. we we showed up in a village and um, and said so we wanted to help them think about their coffee and improve their uh, improve their incomes. And one of the young guys said, "I said, wow, you're the first guy in about 20 years to show up and um, and just come out coming off the horizon and say you'd like to like to help us improve our coffee." <laughs> this guy, like 20, 30 years ago, and his name was Dewitt. And I've got a photograph here of me as a little boy with um, uh, with my father and uh, and Dewitt, and and our guy said, "Gentlemen, I'm Dewitt." <laughs> so it was it was Dewitt back. <laughs> but, uh, but so the uh, this group about 300 farmers uh, decided to to come together. They, they decided they they give themselves a name. They call themselves Duramina, um, and many of your listeners um, would now be. Uh, aware of Duramina and what what that became, but it really just started with with three hundred uh, farmers who 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 came together and just with a um, a hope that uh, they could take some knowledge and they can convert that into um, into higher incomes for their families. And, and many of your listeners would, would know the story, but for those who don't, uh, it went from this tiny little village to uh, suddenly in a, about two thousand and twelve, it won the. Uh, the African Fine Coffee Association auction mm-hmm. sort of, and uh, it got pinned as the the best coffee in Africa for that year. Uh, and before long, uh, Noma, um, a restaurant in Denmark, was tagged as world's best restaurant two or three times. Decided to make Duramina, this this little village of a couple hundred farms, um, decided he'd make that the uh, the coffee uh, that would be served at the world's best restaurant. So, um, and and while that was happening, the um, um, just a whole host of, uh, of great specialty coffee um, you know, pioneers and leaders uh, were, were showing up and starting to, to taste these coffees and just get really excited by it and, and just absolute, none of what happened with that village could have happened without just the, the extraordinary um, catalyzing effect that, that the specialty coffee industry could, could bring. And, mm-hmm. and, and so Drumina can now be found on the Champs-Élysées and in London and, and, and in the Ace Hotel in New York, um, what happened with that money was, was is remarkable. So, the, the, so the money started to flow. They the, the went from semi-washed to fully washed. The, the premiums went up. Uh, they suddenly had more money rolling with the village, and we see this time and time again in the work we do, and it's just in, inspiring to watch. Um, but they had to decide what uh, what they would do with that money. And the first thing they did was they built a bridge to the outside world. Um, wow. So, metaphor but uh they they had a river but but during the year when the river was fallen and in flood um women who were in labor couldn't get couldn't get out to, to the medical clinics and so women had died trying to cross uh this, this swollen river uh so the first thing they did was to to build build a bridge to the outside world uh, but the money the money kept rolling and so they they built um two new schools and uh and then hired more teachers and suddenly and everyone had more money in their pockets, and suddenly we, we, we're getting um, to universal 
um, schooling. So I was, I was just out there again, um, probably about two years ago, and, and asked the, the, the principal. They said, but basically everyone now in the village is going through high school, which is just extraordinary. Wow. Uh, boys and girls, everyone uh, going through the system. So they built the buildings and they, they had the teachers. Then they said, we, we should have a medical clinic. So they said, built a clinic. Once they had a clinic, they said, well, you know, now we need medicine. But then they said, well, if you're going to have medicine, you're going to need refrigeration. So they started looking at buying their own refrigeration, but then they realized they need electricity. And they went to the government and said, you know, we, we don't have electricity. Could you you connect us and they said look you're, you're you're one of many villages in Ethiopia we have a we have a lot of priorities so we'll get we'll get you eventually um but the, the people in the village uh, put in their own money build their own power poles and connect themselves wow so um so it was, it's been breathtaking to watch them on the journey and, and even though they're the most well known they are only 300 of the 200,000 farmers that were part of that project and so lesser well stories um one of which I share with Lee um, off off camera um, mm. or doing this, but uh, and and of course most of the stories that, that I never know. But this podcast is about Vedava, not about Duramina. Mm. Um, so in the process of putting those wet mills together, we need to get financing. There's a lot of things that have to happen. We have to help the group get together. We have to help them understand how to do governance, how to have audit committees to to manage their own co-ops so that to, to have cooperative leadership, but also have an audit um, oversight body that could then keep an eye on, on the cooperative leadership. Um, but you also need financing to buy this mill. And so then we went to get financing, but um, uh, eventually we were told, well, we'll give you financing, but only if you do something about um, the, the wastewater and the traditional approach to wastewater management. Uh, you, you build sedimentation ponds, and so the pulp and the mucilage would come out and it would slowly evaporate in the ponds. Uh, but from time to time, those ponds would overflow or they, they wouldn't be right. maintained cracks and they'd pour into the river. And in, um, and in Ethiopia, there's a lot of old mills. And during when it was peak coffee harvest, there was so much mucilage, uh, so, so much mucilage going into the river uh, that people wouldn't drink from it and they wouldn't, wouldn't let their livestock drink from it. Uh, was it toxic? So it's not toxic, but it does smell. Um, it, it's like rotting fruit. So if you can imagine, okay. just into, uh, if, you, if you imagine walking into a um, yeah into a hectare was just covered with rotting fruit, you can imagine why yeah. why people would, would feel that it's suspect. Um, so so uh, the we were told well, we'll give you the financing for these mills, but you've you've got to come up with a new answer. So um, we we had a new problem uh, to solve. Um, and around that time um, in Australia, uh, the, the baking industry was facing new regulations. They had waste from, from baking and they would pump yeast out into huge um, areas of flat land and just let the yeast evaporate again. Not toxic, but just they needed to get the water out of the yeast. And they had worked out how to use vetiver, this fast growing grass, where the grass literally just planted it. And if you put... Um, uh, water in it would just it would just soak up the water very quickly and convert it into to biomass uh, so while i was looking at that um in ethiopia they're actually using vetiver for, for a different reason they're using they're planting on the side of rows to, to protect from erosion so it was actually a right. of, um, as water ran off roads and caused caused erosion so we sort of put these these things together and um and realize that we could create these herringbone patterns, uh, grade the land, let the, the mucilage come come out of the mill, 
and it would just get caught up in the, the weeds and the and the vetter would just grow and that become cattle feed and you basically eliminated the entire environmental problem. But we, we want to be able to show that it works. So we, we undertook an enormous um, uh, treatment and control experiment and, and Lee has seen some of the videos of uh, the talks mm. I've done and knows that we, we care a great deal about um, empirical evidence. And so we decided to do an experiment on a, on a vast scale. So we, we took one river and did all of the... Um, all of the uh, reparation of these mills in one river and one river we left as a control river. And then we measured the, the BOD, the, the pollution levels, the solids pollution levels in the rivers. And, and by the second season, it had been uh, eliminated. So in the, in, the, in the river, which was about for about, uh, it's probably about a million people that's a watershed for um, the, the BOD. What we normally see in the graph is there'd be this much pollution and then the harvest would go like this and the end of harvest would come back down. After two years, it just flattened. Wow. Um, there's still more to be done. There's still about another, I think there's another 140, 150 mills that we uh, that I'd still like to do. But um, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a great example again of um, uh, there there are solutions out there to be found. And um, and in this case, the it was it was relatively um, straightforward. It, it didn't it didn't require a whole lot of technology. It, it did require um, getting hold of the people who could um, connect the dots. That it was being used in other parts of the world for a similar purpose that just hadn't been getting used um, in East, East Africa for that way, and uh, but it, but it just had a um, yeah transformatory effect on the communities. And we, we talked to um, some people who were older, and that they sort of talk about how during the the coffee harvest, the younger families could send their kids you know across the hill to um, uh, to get clean water. But the, the elderly guy we spoke to said, like, I'm just too old now, so I'll have to. So I don't I don't want to let my livestock drink it, but I don't have a lot of choice, and that's the choice for me. So, um, so no, it was it was a clean water a, for him becomes a whole new way of living, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so again, it was uh, as we I think we said on one of the earlier podcasts. Really, you know, we weren't looking for the solution. We were just um, we were just told we couldn't get the financing that we need for the mills unless we came up with the answer, and, uh, and it ended up being an answer that. Uh, uh, could, could scale across Ethiopia and, and probably has application, I'm sure, in other countries as well. When it comes to approaching these kinds of problem-solving scenarios, do you think that the limitation is often – now let me ask it a different way. What do you think the limitation is to problem-solving in these kinds of situations? Um, good question. We, we didn't talk uh, – we didn't talk about what Inveritas's values are, but um, mm. we have five values. One of them is is innovation. And uh, what I often tell my team is everyone thinks they like innovation, but people really don't like innovation. Innovation <laughs> is uh, it's unpleasant and it's uncertain. And uncomfortable and disruptive. <laughs> like the result of innovation. They like yeah. the finished, but not actually the process of innovation. Um, but I have always worked very hard to to try and create a culture where again these solutions were really um, other than I think the I, I brought to the table um, some of the insights that were happening over in the Australian baking industry. But um, but in most cases it's it's the team on the ground that are that are really um, mm. uh, doing this. And I think creating a culture where people feel safe to try things and to do things um, to do things a little bit out of the ordinary. Uh, is is really important. I think if you can create that culture where people feel um, 
that it's okay to to speak up and it's okay to take a risk then then we just we we just constantly see um surprising things coming my way i remember in this particular project i, I got a request for tent and sleeping bags and um to pay for tents and sleeping bags and i said why why are we why are we buying tents and sleeping bags and i said well the it's, it's so long to get out to the team and, and to, to the place where the where the villages are working on this and to get back the team just uh the team's been staying out there but since they're staying out there they're staying uh then because of the hospitality of the village they're, they're staying in the house um uh, with the hosts um as as hospitality uh you know would would dictate but we're, we're eating them out of house and home because they're right they're constantly for the day but they won't they won't take payment because then you know that that wouldn't be the hospitable thing to do so so, so we need to we need to just get away so we're not um we're, we're not going to uh, bankrupt them so they asked for for tents and sleeping bags so they could stay out there and uh, you know, just keep working not be a burden so it's uh i think if you if you create um if you create an environment where people are comfortable doing that and 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 they're able to to come up with solutions and, and bring them to you. Um, I, I certainly feel like about all the things that we're talking about, and we've still got a few more to come now um, in future podcasts. Um, yeah, I think I think everyone's everyone's just got a ton of ideas. It's just not always do they do they have the environment where they can bring everything that they've that, that they're seeing or all, all the um, all the experience. I'm sure in every coffee shop, every time I've worked. Um, uh, in retail, there were there were things that I knew because I was working. I, I worked mm. whole host of jobs. I worked in um, seafood factories with um, production lines with uh, with food going down the line. But I would say within a day and a half of being on that line, I, I knew more about some things of that process than the supervisor who'd been there mm. for ten years. I was I was right at the cold face, and uh, and I think I've always felt that about um, the people I work as well. I I, I trust that. They actually know a lot more about the problems and how these problems can get solved than me. And of course, that thinking goes all the way to the farmers. And and um, you know, and we love to get input from farmers as, as they talk about um, things that work and don't work. Um, and and that that becomes part of the the evolution. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. I think in the in the fifth podcast. Yeah, truly inspiring stuff. And and something that uh that has kept coming up the last couple of months is what we're going to talk about in the next episode. And I'm so glad you're going to be talking about this because David Paparelli and I tried to find as much information as we could about this subject, which is about the new EU regulations and the deforestation. And I'm glad that Inveritas is trying to solve this problem as well. So folks, join us in the next episode, particularly if you're looking at exporting coffee to the EU, this is going to be very important for you. Peace, love and peanut butter. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast, as well as more information on Map It Forward, head to mapitforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below.